Okay, guys, we're in Daniel chapter 6. Now, this is the last chapter of historic material. Daniel's very interesting. A lot of people, you know, as, as Westerners, Greek thinkers, as I should say, most of our thought is based on Greek, Roman Greek thought, okay? How we evaluate things is in an intellectual manner. We like to evaluate things step by step, read things chronologically. The problem is that the Bible is not necessarily written chronologically, and, in, and specifically the book of Daniel is not written chronologically. What you have is, interesting, I've already told you, the book is written in two different languages. There was a section of it that was written in Aramaic, and this is part of that section. This is the last chapter of that section. Actually, next week, I think, is the last chapter. But... Most of it's written in Hebrew, but it's kind of oddly divided. So like the first six chapters are historical material, historical background. Then chapters 7 through the end of the book is all prophetic material. But what you're going to see with the prophetic material, it's actually some of it was given while, for instance, Belshazzar was king. Now we saw last week the end of Belshazzar's reign. Some of it was given while Darius who is the Mede, uh, the king of the Medo-Persians, was king. Okay, So it's given at various times. So it's, it's like you're trying to wrap your brain around that. It's like, what's the purpose of this? Well, in fact, I, this summer I was at a conference when we took the kids up to uh, Scroon Lake for Word Life Camp. I listened to a guy talking about prophecy, and he answered a question. And, and he said, I don't know why it was written that way. Well, I think it, I can tell you why. Most scholars agree why. It's, it's to give you a background of what's going on in Daniel's life and what's happening with these kingdoms before the prophecy material is given. Okay? So next week we're going to start into the prophecy material. All right? And it's going to be very interesting because the prophetic material that we're going to look at ranges from the Babylonian Empire into the future. Some of it has already been fulfilled. We'll see that. Some of it hasn't. But right now we need to finish out chapter 6, where we're now with Daniel in the Medo-Persian Empire. So let me just kind of give you an understanding of how big the Medo-Persian Empire was. If you have your book, you'll have this map in there. But this is the Medo-Persian Empire. It was about 500 B.C., so this is 500 years before the time of Christ, or before the Common Era, as they say now. And you'll see that it, it extended from parts of what is now Greece, all of Turkey, all of Iran, into Afghanistan, Pakistan, all the way uh, almost to India, okay? Down into, again, along the Euphrates River basin here, where you see Babylon and Ur, Damascus, all of Palestine, and then into Egypt all the way over to here, which is what we know as modern-day Libya, okay? Carthage is, is the name of the city that would be the ancient city that was there. Now, you notice right here the kingdom doesn't extend down into here, into the Arabian Peninsula. Anybody got an idea why it doesn't extend down into the Arabian Peninsula? Yeah, there's nothing there except Bedouins, Okay? Uh, tribal peoples. It's, it's basically desert area. So what's the sense in ruling a desert? Okay? So that's why it's all there. Okay? So that's the Medo-Persian Empire. So just so you understand how big it is. Now, it's bigger, if you go back in your notes, if you have the book, 
that we gave you. If you go back in your notes, you'll see that it's bigger than the Babylonian Empire. But according to the prophecies, it's a lesser kingdom, okay? A lesser kingdom. So let's look at this story. Again, it's a story you've heard in Sunday school. But again, the main character is not Daniel, okay? The main character is not even the Persian king. The main character is who? God, okay? So let's look. We're going to look, first of all, at Daniel's prominence in the Medo-Persian Empire. Look with me at verses 1 to 3. Daniel's prominence in the Medo-Persian Empire. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, so the satraps might give an account to them, so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Okay, so let's talk about it first. First of all, his structure of government. Darius made a government structure with Daniel as one of the three top officials. So here, notice what he's doing here. He's, he's got a big kingdom. I just showed you the map of it. He's not administering that kingdom all by himself. Does everybody understand that? He's got to have people under him that are able to do that. So what he did was is he appointed 120 satraps. Now, that's possible it's because that in their kingdom they maybe had 120 provinces or 120 districts or whatever, but they had 120 administrators. Now, to get a, so that the king wasn't burdened, because you notice what it says, so that he suffers no loss, what does that mean? How hard do you think it is to keep track of 120 people? Does anybody know? I mean, it's, it's pretty difficult. You've got to have somebody else. You've got to break it down. Okay, so he breaks it down into now over those 120, he sets how many people over them? Three. And who is one of the three, according to the text? Daniel. Okay, now what we see here then in verse 3 is, is that Daniel excelled above the other officials. So Daniel distinguishes himself as being a better administrator than the other three guys. Okay? So the king thought about making Daniel the chief official in the empire. So, I mean, it only makes sense, you know, because here's the thing. You've got a structure where you've got 120 guys that are running the empire. Over those 120 guys are three guys. And then of those three guys, the next level up is the king. So the king's got to worry about those three guys. Of those three guys, Daniel shows himself to be superior, prominent, a guy and a guy that can be trustworthy, a guy who does the job. So the king's thinking, you know what, instead of me dealing with these three guys, because, you know, i got a lot better things to do in the kingdom. You know, i got a lot more lounging around to do. I don't have time to mess around with all these administrative affairs. I'm just going to set the one guy over the rest of them and let him worry about it. I trust him. So that's what he's thinking about doing. And, of course, this would get out to the rest of the people. Now, if you're one of the other two guys or the other 120 satraps, and it's a dog-eat-dog world, and we know it is, right? 
Okay? I mean, even in business, even at, at work, right? You know, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. So everybody's trying to what? One-up one another. Is that not true? Things have not changed, okay? And you hear that Daniel's getting ready to be put up above everybody. Would you be happy about that? You've been working your tail off, trying to, trying to show yourself to the man that you're doing okay. And you hear that Daniel's doing well. And if you've got no scruples, are you going to allow that to happen? You're, you're going to do what you can to make him look bad, right? Okay, so this is what happens here. In fact, you can almost tell it's going to happen. Look with me now at verses 4 through 9. Look at what it says there. So the governors and the satraps, isn't it interesting? So it's the other two guys and the 120 sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any fault against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So, the governors and the satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom and the administrators and satraps and counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statue and to make firm a decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, what's going on here? First of all, the other officials, it's very clear from the text, it's the 120 plus the other two guys, okay, sought to find a means to discredit Daniel. So they're on a mission now. We can't have this guy being put in charge of us, so we're going to find any way possible to make sure that that doesn't happen. So they're on a mission to make sure that that credibility is not there. They're going to find something wrong to point out, hey, you don't want this guy doing it. Look at what he does over here. Okay? Now, but here's the problem. They've got a problem, because they're not just dealing with anybody, they're dealing with who? Daniel. And what is it about Daniel? They were frustrated by Daniel's what? Faithful character. I mean, maybe with the rest of us they could find fault, okay? But with Daniel, they couldn't find anything in his character to discredit him. Alright? So, they have to make a decision, because it's like, Okay, we can't find any reason to discredit him. He's faultless. So they come up with another idea. So the officials sought to discredit Daniel with his faith in his God. So they said, okay, we can't, can't do it based upon his character. Can't do it based upon how he's operating the government. Can't do it based upon his dealings with other people. Possibly the only way that we're going to be able to do it now is if somehow we could discredit him concerning his religion. Concerning his faith. Now remember now, this is a polytheistic, that is they believe in multiple gods, society. Okay? They're a polytheistic society. And Daniel's God whom he worshipped is just one God among many gods, except to the rest of everybody else it's a defeated God. Okay? So somehow they're going to try to discredit him based upon his faith. 
So what they do is this. They all, notice it says they throng before him. What does that give you the picture of? All 120 of them, plus the other two, go into the king's presence. That's a lot of people. And, and they basically go before him, and here's what they do. They sought a decree to outlaw for 30 days prayer to anyone but the king. They, they're like, oh, king, you know what? We've been thinking about this, and we think it's only right that we, we establish in the law a 30-day period where the only person who can be prayed to is you. You, O oh king, because you're so great. You're so wonderful. And if anybody prays to anybody else, then they're going to be thrown into the lion's den. They're going to be executed immediately. And guess what the king does? He does it. Now, does anybody understand why he does it? Why does he do it? It swelled up his head. Okay, that's good. Okay, yes, but also understand the mentality. Bruce is right, swelled up his head, appealed to his pride. Okay, but you've got to understand the mentality of that time. Who is the ultimate authority in that kingdom? The king. In the ancient Near East, the kings were always seen as divine. As a god, even though they died, they were practically worshipped like a divine god. So when these guys come before him, they're not asking anything that's crazy. It's not like the king would sit there and say, you know, hey, come on. You're talking about worshipping me. What's the matter with you? That's not right. No, he's like, oh, yeah. That only makes sense. Because I'm in control. You know, I could kill anybody or, or, or elevate anybody or bring them down. And, oh, by the way, bring me an iced tea. I'm kind of thirsty right now. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that, that's the kind of thinking that's in their mind. Do you know what I'm saying? So he's like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Okay? So guess what he does? The decree would be solidified in the law of the Mede and what? Persians. Now, let me explain to you the law of the Mede and Persians. It's a little bit different than American law. Like, for instance, you know, it's, our, our system of government is interesting because even though they establish laws, does that mean it's solid? No. No, because all it takes is what? A court decision to turn it over in our country, right? Nothing solid that's written in the law. Everybody understand that? If you've had any dealings with the judicial system, you'll know it's not solid. Like, for instance, you could go before the courts. I, I once talked to a businessman who said, oh, man, you just hope it never goes to court. Why is that? Because everybody loses. Okay? Everybody loses. If you've had to deal with the courts, you know everybody loses. Okay? So nothing solid in American law. That is not the way it was in the Medo-Persian Empire. This is interesting. It's almost crazy. Once it was written in the laws of the Medo Medes and Persians... It could not be changed. There were no loopholes. There was no way to get out of it. Whatever that law says, that was the decree. I'll give you another example. If you go over to the book of Esther, remember Haman had a decree that all the Jews be wiped out on a certain day? That was written in the law of the Medes and Persians. That could not be changed. So even after Haman was defeated and killed and hung... The king couldn't reverse that law anymore. Not even the king could change the law. I mean, he's the, he's the ultimate guy here. 
So they, what did they do? They made another law in the law of the Medes and Persians to kill all the enemies of the Jew the day before the Jews were to be killed, which basically rendered the other law ineffective. That's how serious this law was. So now he solidifies in law a law that says nobody can pray to anybody else but the king for what? 30 days. Okay? 30 days. So, But notice now, look at verses 10 and 11. We're going to see how this affects Daniel. Look with me. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with his window open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times a day, prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Okay, here's what I want you to see. In spite of the decree, Daniel continued his practice of prayer as usual. Even in spite of this, even in spite of the fact that it's in law, Daniel, this is conviction now, continues his practice of prayer. Let me explain his practice of prayer. Because you notice he, he opened his window towards the east. At that time, here's the thing. Devout Jews, basically, why were they turned towards Jerusalem? It's not that Jerusalem was the holy place, but there was somewhere else holy in Jerusalem. Where was that? The temple, or the temple mount of what will be left of the temple. So Daniel, in his devout faith towards God, turned his heart towards what he longed for, which we're going to see that in his prophecies, because he longs for what? Jerusalem to be restored. He turns his heart towards there, because that's what he's praying for, folks. Do you understand? He's praying for God's will and for God's people. So he turns his heart towards there. In fact, you say, wow, that's pretty interesting. It happens today. There's a part of Jerusalem that's dedicated to prayer. Anybody know where that is? Yeah, the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall. It's the only part of the Temple Mount that the Jews have access to. And they go there to each day. Most of them go there and they pray for what? Anybody know what they're praying for? The temple. For God's glory to be restored for God's people. That's, that's, what they're, that's where they're at. So this is a practice of the Jews. You know, because it's to them, to not have a temple there is a gut-wrenching thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a, it's a matter of national pride and as well as spiritual pride. So Daniel's going to continue in his practice here. Okay, so here's what happens. The officials gather and discover Daniel praying. So I mean, you can almost see it. They probably had some spies. Oh, yeah, he's going to the house. Yeah, he's opening up that window. Yeah, we can see through our looking glasses. Okay, knock on the door. We caught you. Okay, and, and let me just be honest with you. They wouldn't be nice like they are here. I don't think they're nice here either when they arrest you. Okay, they're not really nice in this culture. Okay? When they arrest him. So guess what they do? Look with me at verse 12 through 18. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Then they answered and said before the king, that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show regard for you, O king, or the decree that you have signed, 
but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and had set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is in the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king of has the stat, which the king establishes may, may be changed. So the king gave the command, and so they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet ring of his lords, and the, that the purpose concerning the king might not be changed. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him, and, and as also his sleep went from him. Okay, so let's notice the judgment here. First of all, the, the officials accused Daniel of violating the decree before the king. Now, here's what they do. That's interesting because this is how sneaky people do it, okay? They just don't show up and say, hey, king, we saw Daniel. He was praying. You got to They don't do that, okay? They just they don't go in there and spill the whole beans right away. What they do is they go in and say, hey, king, didn't you make a decree that if anybody worships and prays to anybody else but you, they're to be thrown into the, into the lion's den, king? Didn't you make that decree, king? And the king says, oh, yeah, yeah, 30 days. It's in the law of the meeting Persians. Anybody who does that gets thrown in. Yep, we made that decree. Isn't that what you guys were in here about before? You interrupted my afternoon siesta for this, you know? And they say, well, yeah, king, guess what? We caught Daniel. He's been praying not just three times a day. So obviously they've been observing him, okay? Three times a day he goes and prays, king, and... You need to deal with him according because it's set down in the law of the Mede and Persians. So they're accusing Daniel. See how they're doing it? They, they kind of get the king cornered here. Now the king realizes that, oh my goodness, they caught me. So he determined to seek a means to free Daniel. So he realizes, oh, these dirty rascals. They want rid of my guy. Okay? So... He immediately determines, I mean, let's, let's assume it happened in the early morning. He spends the rest of the day trying to figure out a way to what? Free Daniel, okay? He spends the rest of the day trying to figure out how to free Daniel. But the plotters insisted that the law be carried out against Daniel. So here's what they do. They, so obviously they know that he's trying to free Daniel. So they go back and they remind the king not of his law, but they remind him of another law. He said, King, you know, it's in the law of the Median Persians that any law that you establish, you can't change. Yeah, but. Yeah, but here's the thing, though, okay? His top guy is going to be killed. Okay. So what's he going to do? Have the other 122 guys killed as well? Then who's going to rule his kingdom? He's going to have to quit. He's going to have to get off the couch for a little bit. Okay, do, 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 do you understand what I'm saying? So, uh, so the plotters insisted that the law be carried out against Daniel. So the king commanded that Daniel be cast into the lion's den. So he said, okay, I've got to do it. Sorry, Daniel. Sorry, but we're going to have to do this. I'll chalk it up. I'll learn a lesson from this. I won't be foolish the next time. Sorry, you won't be here the next time. Okay? 
But the king expressed something interesting. He wanted Daniel's God. Now notice now, it's Daniel's God, not his God. Does everybody understand that before you start assuming that this guy is saved or that he's a believer, this guy says it's Daniel's God. All right? Your God. It's not my God, your God. He wanted Daniel's God to deliver him. All right? So... Then notice, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, and it was sealed. Now, you have to understand, when they say sealed, what they did was, is that in that day, to make sure that nobody messed with it, of course, they covered the rock on it, and then they would put seals on it, royal decree seals, that if anyone broke those seals, like if somebody wanted to rescue Daniel or something, I mean, think about it. What are you going to rescue? He's in there with a bunch of lions, okay? Then whoever broke those seals would be killed. All right, so this is what they would do, okay, and so it's sealed, and then guess what happens? The king fasted, now just again so you understand, fasting is not necessarily a spiritual exercise, so it's not like he's fasting to God, it means that you're going without food because of the stress in your life, all right, so he goes without food that evening, he doesn't even have his evening entertainment show up. It's like, don't bring the band in. I don't want to hear any music, okay? And he's having a hard time, what? It was not able to sleep because of his concern for Daniel, all right? So he's very anxious. He's not able to sleep because he's concerned for Daniel. Then notice now the rest of the chapter tells us what happens. Everybody knows what happens because you know the Sunday school story. Look now, and we'll see some interesting things here. Look at verse 19. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, serving of the living God, has your God, again, notice now, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. That's got to freak you out. There's a voice. Okay, I'm okay. Live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. Because I I was found innocent before you, and also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him, because he believed in his God. And the king gave the command, and he brought those men who accused Daniel and cast them into the lion's den. Them, listen now, it's not just them, their children and their wives, and the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces before they came to, be, before they came to the bottom of the den. Then Daniel wrote, to, then King Darius wrote, to all the peoples, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you, I make a decree, that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is a living God, steadfast forever. His kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed. His dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So Darius pr- prospered. So Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in, and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Okay? Now, 
let's go on here. Let's see what's happening here. First of all, the king's haste. So the king, in the early morning, so it brought the crack of dawn when you guys were getting up to go hunting. The king gets up, okay? He rushed to the lion's den and called out to Daniel, okay? Now the king, why does he do that? Because he's assuming something here. He's hoping for something. He has faith in something. He has faith in what? Daniel's going to make it, okay? In spite of odds. Because let me explain something to you. When they used lions as a form of execution, how they made sure that the execution took place is that they didn't feed them much. So they threw you in not with full satisfied lions, okay? It's like I remember when I was in college and I spent the summer working with a missionary over in East Africa in Kenya. One of the times he took me out on the... uh, out on a safari out at the Maasai Mara, okay? That was really exciting. So we got, we're in a vehicle, and we come up on a lion, a pride of lions, and, and they're all laying out there miserable, fat, miserable, and groggy. Why? They had just eaten a water buffalo. Now, I didn't want to get out of the vehicle, but the point is is that they, they weren't aggressive because they were what? Full. Now, what they did was, is when they used it for execution, is they wouldn't make, they would make sure that they hadn't what, eaten in a while. So, guess what? They're hungry. So, if you throw a dude down in there, how long is he going to last? Not long. So, obviously, the king has faith that somehow Daniel's going to make it. All right. So he asked Daniel, "Are you there?" So the king replied that God had protected him because of his innocence. Oh God. Oh, king, live forever. Don't worry about it. God, my God watched after me because I'm an innocent man. I haven't done anything wrong. Okay? So then what happens? The king called for Daniel to be released. Now, notice something. You might say, well, I thought he was supposed to be executed. Why don't they just execute him? No. Remember, the decree was, listen to me, the decree was, if he did, if he prayed for 30 days in the law of the Median Persians, he was to be cast into the den of lions. It didn't say that he had to be killed. So now he's been cast in, he survives, come on out of there. Okay? So now guess what happens? No injury occurred to Daniel in the lion's den. Nothing happened to him in there. Okay? Nothing happened to him. So now, the king, you remember now, what's the king, you know, where's the king on this? Okay, his hands were tied before legally, they're not tied anymore. So he ordered the Daniel's accusers thrown into the lion's den. Not just his accusers, though, but who else? Their families. Now, does anybody understand why? And it's like, God, this God's a cruel king. Why in the world would he do that? Why do you think they had to throw in their families, too? Okay, Danny hit it right on the head. So... It's ensuring the future that there was no future threat. Why? Because unlike in our culture, okay, in our culture we're not like this, although some people are like this. In their culture, it was a matter of family pride and shame and vendettas. In fact, that's what's going on in the Middle East now, okay? I mean, like, you and I look at the news and we're like, man, you're upset about the Crusades? We have nothing to do with the Crusades, but they think we have something to do with it. Why? Because they carry grudges. For centuries. And what happened is, is that you you maybe, okay, 
you, maybe you're, you're, you're a five-year-old and your daddy gets thrown in the jail, but now you're going to carry that grudge that you're going to pay back the king or even Daniel for your, for your daddy being killed or your granddaddy being killed. So what they would do is, is to ensure that that kind of threat didn't exist, they would what? Wipe everybody out in that family. Okay? So they would wipe your wife out. They would wipe your kids out. Okay? So he orders Daniel's accusers thrown into the lion's den. <laughs> Rough deal, isn't it? And guess what? At this point, you got a bunch of hungry lions. What do they do? Yeah, they eat them. They kill them. Okay? They kill everybody. Now, Here's what happens now. Verse 25, the king makes a pronouncement. The writer records a royal proclamation which was sent throughout his kingdom. So he records a royal proclamation which was sent throughout his kingdom. All right? And so the, declare, the king declared that all should fear what? The God of Daniel. Okay? The God of Daniel. And that the God of Daniel is sovereign and a deliverer. Okay? Alright? That ends chapter 6. Next week, we're going to get into chapter 7, and we're going to look at the dream of four beasts. This is the first of the prophetic dreams, the prophetic things that Daniel shows us. The dream of four beasts.